the, when we read these stories, the Bible says that these things are written so that you may believe. And today, as we are looking um, at the book of Deuteronomy, uh, there is so much in this incredible book. Sometimes you can look at it, boy, it's, it's, you know, wow, it's kind of hard to get into. Man, this thing is so full. This book is so just dynamic about a, about a, a dynamic man. A man of flesh and blood like, 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 like us that made some big mistakes and some, honestly, some big mis- a big mistake that really, really, really cost him, cost him big time. And sometimes these things are written so we may believe that sometimes there are some consequences to sin. We say, well, you know, God, it's okay, God will forgive me. Yeah, God does forgive us, but sometimes the, the price that sin costs us, God forgives us, has nothing to do with our eternal salvation. But some of the, the blessings that God wants to give us, we can kind of walk away from because we, we get sloppy with God. And this is, this, this is one of the things that happens to, to, to Moses. Moses is, and I say this emphatically, the greatest leader that has ever lived on the face of the earth. Now, I'm not undermining the work of Jesus Christ and him being the son of God. But I'm saying as far as human leaders go, Moses, there, there is no one on the face of the earth that has ever come close, that's held a candle to, to, to who Moses was and, and what he did and the incredible feat that he, that he pulled off. In the book of Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, at the end of the Pentateuch, at the end of these first five books, at the end of of, of Moses' life, this is what God chose to write about Moses. And it's in 34 and in verse 10, and since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. And I'm going to add to the word of God here, okay? No prophet has risen in the world like Moses. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Whom, who did all the miraculous signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. To the Pharaoh and to all of his officials. And to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power and performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all the world. The Bible says Israel, so you allow me. I'm not, I'm not disobeying God by adding to the, to the word, but wow, what a, what a leader this man was. What an incredible leader that every leader on the face of the earth should look at and, and envy and pattern their life after. But even, at that, even though Moses was that man, he, he still had his, his, his flaws and he still had some things that he did that, that cost him and, and, and cost him big time. And we'll talk about that a, a little later. But the book of Deuteronomy, the word deuter we, we, we know as the word that comes across as the word to undu twa uh, I mean, it's just it's just a, it's number it's the number two it is the second reading or the second reminder of of what has already taken place 
It is a recap of, of, of what God wants to have done, what has taken place. And Moses is getting ready. He knows that because of what he has done, he will not be able to go into the promised land with, with all of the children of Israel. This is his, his last will and testament. This is what he is saying to them. And basically, it kind of boils down into, into, into three dissertations or, or three sermons or three messages or three reminders of, of what, is, what is going on. The first one, he's talking about the sins of their fathers and the reason that they've had to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness because the, the, the children of Israel that were set free from captivity instantly begin to question God and begin to choose God off of, we should have just stayed as captives in, in Egypt. God, you led us out in the wilderness to die. They saw God do the miracles, but they, they questioned God. And, and Moses is saying, don't be like that. You've had to wander around in, 40, in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for all of them to die off. They saw the promised land. And they said, no, we can't go in there. We can't do that. Uh, it's too big. There's giants in there. We're not. We don't want to do that. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had. At least we had some good food there. Here, you know, we stuck with this manna every day, and uh, we, we we want something different. God says, because of that, none of you who have complained will go into the promised land. You're not going to get to do it. Moses is saying, for 40 years, many of you have paid the consequences. You could have been in the promised land 20 years ago. You could have been in the promise 39 years ago, but, but because of these people that complained, you don't get to go in. So you got to wait around till they all die off. You know, the Kapchinsky mind goes wild here. After about 35 years or so, I'm sure there was somebody walking around with a clipboard saying, got 112 left. <laughs> okay. You know, Joe over here is not, not looking too good. Somebody go help him off, you know. Uh, um, that's dangerous mind. But what, what we do know is that Moses is giving them this last dissertation, this last instruction. He is saying to them that you're not going to get to go and I don't get to go in the promised land because of what I did. And Moses even says what I did, but actually it was your fault. I did something because you were complaining at me, and because of that, I don't get to go in the promised land. We'll talk about that in, in a few minutes. But God has to take some time with the children of Israel in the, in the, in the wilderness to, to, in essence, to, to wash Egypt off of them, to get them to start thinking in a different way. They, the children of Israel, while they were in Egypt, they really were nothing more than, than glorified Egyptians. They had been in captivity for 400 years. They looked like, act like, and talked like. They had a different area that they lived in. A number of years ago, when I, a couple of years ago, I was in Egypt, and I was talking with our tour with this guy that was, and I said, well, what about the children of Israel? He said, well, there, there's no evidence of the children of Israel ever being here in Egypt. And I go, ooh, well, okay. I mean, I, I'd heard this before. You know, that wasn't news to me. Okay. But you know, I want you to know something, folks. And I, I'm not trying to mess with your faith. I want you to have faith in the Bible because the Bible is God's word and we are to believe in it. But I also want you to know something. 
there is some archaeological evidence that documents what the Bible says. There is archaeological proof that the children of Israel were in the geographic location that the Bible says that they were in. Regardless of what some historian may say, it is, it, 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 it's, it's difficult. It's difficult because they say, well, it doesn't fit into the exact time frame. So because of that, we don't want to believe it. The Bible says that they were in, they, they were in, in, the, in, in the city of Goshen. Um, and, and Goshen didn't exist for up to a certain time, and there was no children of Israel here then, so, no, it's no, no, so it's not true. If I said to you, or any history teacher said to you, well, the, the American Indians were living in California before the time of Columbus, you would know what I mean, don't you? It wasn't called California. But geographically, we understand it. So when the Bible says the children of Israel are living in, in Goshen, um, it, it, it is saying, or, you know, it's in, in Ramses, the particular area was Ramses. You know, and well, Ramses didn't come along until a long time after that. It wasn't named that for, for a long, long, long time. The author is just trying to say, here's the area that you know. It was known as a, by a different name back then. And archaeologically, in, in this area... Where the children of Israel, where the Bible says the children are supposed to be, there are two gigantic uh, digs where there, where there was large, large, large gatherings of what they would refer to as, as Orientals or as, as, as Western Asian, which is that area of Syria, the area around Jerusalem, around Israel. Documented evidence that is there. Well, we don't want to believe it because it doesn't quite fit into this. So, no, it may have been some, 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 some but it wasn't the ones that the Bible talks about. You say, oh, come on. Well, you know, it doesn't quite fit the time frame that we want. And, and what I'm saying is there's evidence that demands a verdict. Josh McDowell wrote a book about evidence in the Bible that is so solid and so strong that it will hold up in a court of law. And there is evidence in the Bible that what you believe in, again, I don't want to mess with your faith, but sometimes it doesn't require faith. It just requires doing a little research. These things are written so that you may believe, and they, they are true. In, these, in these, the, the, these housing areas, these cities that are there, there is one particular location where there is a, uh, there, there is a house, a castle, or a big, huge uh, estate that is there that obviously belonged to a very strong power, person of power. Um, this, in his grave, he had a, a, a pyramid, Unless you're a king, you don't get a pyramid. And in this, this conclave where, the housing, where this house is, there are 12 grave sites. Huh. But there is one of the grave sites that is bigger than the others, larger than the others, and it has this pyramid on it. When it is excavated, when they're looking at it, they find out that there is a, inside of this pyramid, there's a statue uh, and it's not, it's not a gigantic pyramid, I mean, it, it, you know, but there's a statue of, of a person that is twice life-size, which is significant of a, power, of a person of power uh, at that time. You don't, get a, you don't get a statue unless you are an important person. 
this important person in this statue that is there of him being twice the human size, they begin to look at it and all of a sudden they realize that this is not an Egyptian. This person has red hair. This person has light skin or yellowed skin. And they understand that, oh, he is this, in, in this form, he is, descri- he is described as that Western Asian, that person from that geographic area where, where Abraham's descendants came from. And you want to know something else that's really kind of funny? That on this, this, this person that, um, that was this dynamic leader that was so important that the pharaohs allowed this, this honor to go to him, this statue of this person has on a coat of many colors. And how do we describe Joseph? He was the one that his, his dad gave him this coat of many colors. Folks, these things are written so that you can believe and there's evidence that is there. So when we realize that we have things inside that we must be paying attention to, the rest of the word is worth paying attention to. The rest of the word of God is worth investing our lives and our hearts into. And so when Moses is saying to these people, these children of Israel, you're going to go in the promised land, and I want you to know that God's got a plan for you there. And you've got to do something. And the best way to, to describe the book of Deuteronomy is it's God telling his people to position themselves for blessings. If you want God's blessings, you have to position yourself to be at the right place at the right time to be obedient and to do what God says. And so God has taken this, this, this bunch of people, these, and he's, he's taken them through some times where he's taught, himself, he's taught them about himself. He's revealed himself to them. He says, I want you to obey me. I want you to worship and serve only me. You can have no other gods. You cannot have any other gods before me. You can't have graven images. You can't worship these sick deities that, that are out there. You have to realize that I want you to be my chosen people, and I'm going to teach you how to to do this. And over a period of time, God taught them how to do that, and we will see through the rest of the Old Testament, God is teaching his people so that even when when they're taken captive and they they lose their land, that there's such a strong identity in them and who they are being God's chosen people that ultimately they're able to, to come back in 1947, even though they had no reason for their identity to go on at all. They had no reason at all for it to be that strong. But God planted something inside of them and they knew that God had made a deal with it with their forefather, Abraham, and for why they would remember him and now that it's time to go back in 1947 and to retake the land. You know, there's always this, these political issues about who owns the land and what makes Israel think they have the right to go in and own the land. God, God's the one that gives them the right to do it. Who owns everything? God owns everything. And he made a contract with Abraham, and he said, I'm going to give this land to you. And I I don't want to rationalize any kind of of hate, any kind of murder. I don't want to rationalize. But what I am saying is that God's plan is for the nation of Israel to, to, to dwell on that land. He put it inside of them, and they will go back. 
And it's important as a nation, as the United States of America, that we back Israel in, 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 in their place that, that God has put them to be. It's important that we stand with them and stand behind them and that we elect people in office that will back Israel as being where they are, where they're supposed to be. God says, I will bless those that bless Jerusalem. And if you want to be blessed, one of the things that God is calling us to do is, is, is to bless and to bless Jerusalem. When we are in this, in this place of, of living in God's provisions and living in God's promises, God wants us to understand, understand some things about him. He's trying to teach the children of Israel. Number one, that God is a God of love. He intends only good things for us. And that, that God is the God of holiness. And he cannot cohabit with, 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 un, with, with sin. And that's the reason that sometimes we read these horrible things that, that takes place in, 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 the, in the Old Testament. We go, ooh, how can, a, how can a good God do those kinds of bad things? And the message that we have to pull out of this is that because God is a holy God, he cannot contract with, with, with unholiness. He cannot contract with sin. He cannot coexist with sin. And he wants to draw a sharp picture for us to understand that sin must be eradicated in our life. As you're reading these hard things in the Bible, realize that God wants these things in our lives that would destroy us, these compromises, God wants us to eradicate them. God wants us to destroy them out of our lives. And so that there is not even the, the, the slightest part of it being there. And yet we live in this fallen world, and yes, it's hard to do that. It's difficult, but it's a battle that God is calling us to continually live in. God wants to bless you. God is saying to us, the message behind Deuteronomy is, will you position yourself for my blessings? It's just going to happen naturally. It's just going to happen. But if you choose to rebel against me, there's going to be the curses, the consequences that are going to come. They're not going to be good. But if you will love me and honor me and obey me, good things are going to come your way. It is just going to happen. When I say don't, you know, don't, don't live in sin, there's a reason for it because you're blocking off good things from coming your way. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Stay away from sexual immorality. We are blocking off the good things of God coming our way. And God says, I want to bless you. God is looking for excuses to bless you. And in, in, in Deuteronomy in chapter 28, this, this thing is so full of stuff. So full of powerful stuff. And it's hard. It was hard for me to, to pick and choose some things I wanted to point out. But in, in, in Deuteronomy 28, in, in verse 9 of verse 8, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything that you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land that he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you uh, 
on an oath. And if you keep the commands of the Lord, your God, you will walk in his ways, obey him. Then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by my name, the name of the Lord, and they will, they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the, in the fruit of your womb, uh, in the young of your livestock, and in the crops of the ground, and in the land sworn um, to your forefathers to give you. That God is going to bless you. When we stay in that place, that it's just a natural thing for it to happen. And God is going to do that. The Lord will open up the heavens and the storehouses of the bounty and he will send you rain on your land in the season to bless in all the works of your hands and you will lend to many nations uh, but will borrow from none. And this is God's plan. Now, yes, folks, I know that life is hard. Yes, I know that Jesus did say that in this world you will have tribulations. And these things are going to come along so we will have those times to learn to put our trust and our faith in God. God's plan is to bless you. God's plan is to bless what we put our hands to. And it's not from this prosperity gospel mentality, but God's plan is to prosper you. And we have to believe the word of God. This is, there's a statue of a guy with a coat of many colors that documents that this stuff is true. So the rest of it is true too. God wants to bless you. Well, God, go ahead. Have at it, God. He says, just make sure that you're positioning yourself to be where the blessings are coming out. They're going to come out over here under my covering. This is where the blessings are. Not someplace off over here where it may be a little more convenient. I was going to tell a joke about a guy looking for a contact lens, and um, I'm going to tell, I didn't tell him the first service because of time, but the guy's looking for his contact lens, and the guy comes by, I said, what are you doing? So I'm looking for my contact lens. Oh, let me help you find it. So looking around, he says, man, I can't find it. He says, where'd you lose it? Where were you when you lost it? He says, oh, um, I was back over here behind this building. He says, why are you looking here? He says, because there's more light here. <laughs> you know, we've we got to be where God wants us to be. We've got to be where the blessing is not where it's more convenient. It's more convenient to look for it here. There's, there's light here. But that's not where it's going to, you know, where you're going to find it. You find God's blessings where God says, this is where it is. And it is in, in serving God and putting God first. God's going to say to the children of Israel, Moses is going to say to the children of Israel, you're going to go in the promised land. The promises of God are blessings and prosperity, but you guys are going to blow it. Moses says to the people in one of his sermons, he's living his last will and testament, he said, you know what? I know you're going to blow it. I know you're going to mess up. You did it anyway. When I was around, you did it. And when I'm gone, I, I know how bad you guys are going to be. You know, you know, but make sure you get back to God. Make sure you get back to God. And so... It's important that we realize that God has a plan. God's plan was to bless them as long as they were in that place of receiving God's blessings. God may look mean from time to time when you read some of these things in the Old Testament, but God is a holy God, and he's calling us to eradicate those things from our lives that, that will separate us from God. 
And God's going to say to the children of Israel, it's not because of your righteousness. In chapter 9, verse 4 through 6, he says to the children of Israel, it is not because of your righteousness that you're getting this land. It's because of their ungodliness that I'm going to give this land to you. Well, that doesn't really seem fair. From God's perspective, it is fair. And God took the land from these ungodly people and he gave it to to the nation of Israel. And it's something that God gave them the deed for it and no government has any right to take it away from them. And and, and he's going to say, it's not going to be a hard thing to do. He says, you know, in, in, in Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, in verse 11, he says, now what I'm commanding you to do, it's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get and to proclaim this to us so we may obey it? No. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it, to proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. And he's going to say to them that the, the word of God is, is, is there for them. They are to grasp it. It's not to be, it's not, God has not hidden it from us. It is very, very clear and very obvious. And we are to, to grasp it and, and to hang on to it. In chapter 19 in, in verse um, uh, nine says, be careful to obey all the laws I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways. Then you are to, to um, th- then we will find that place of protection from God. He's going to make a way even when they have done something wrong. He's going to make some cities of refuge for them to escape to. When we obey God, that God is there to, to make a way for us. Now, in, in this discourse that, that, that he is giving to these people, saying the word of God, it's there, you can go find it, you can, you know, it's there for you, it's, it's, it's in your heart, and it's in your mouth. He's going to say to them, he says, this day I call heaven and earth to witness against you, that I set before you life and death, blesses, blessings and cursings. Now choose life. Now, choose life. We've, many of you, if you come from any type of a Jewish culture, a Jewish background, there's a little phrase that you're familiar with, and that phrase is choose life. It is something that maybe if you watch some television and, or some movies or something and you know, see some people, uh, some Jewish people are making a toast, and it's a Jewish toast, and that toast is l'chaim. Words from Moses' mouth. L'chaim, choose life. It's your choice. Which one do you want? It's up to you. And God puts us in that place to say, which one do you want? I want you to choose life. And Moses is realizing at this point that he's not going to be able to to go into the promised land. He has had these difficult times with the children of Israel they're complaining to Moses, we don't have any water. And uh, Moses is saying, well, here we are. It's, it's time for it, something to happen. And he's on the plains of Edom. And let's go ahead and put this, this picture of the, of, this, of the map up here. 
but I don't, I hope you can see it well enough, but this is the, this is the, the, the plains of, of Moab, where the children of Israel were in this, this area in, in here. And um, this, you see the Jordan River coming through here. And so Moses is addressing the children of Israel over here. And he's saying, you're going you're gonna to cross the Jordan. You're going to go into the promised land. I can't go with you because I did something that God told me not to do. God's talking to Moses, and he said, you know, Moses, one time the children of Israel were complaining to you about water, and I told you there was a rock there, and I told you to strike it once, and you struck it once, and, and water came out. A little later on, they're complaining again that we need more water, and God says to Moses, okay, now then I want you to go to the rock and speak to the rock. Don't strike it. Speak to the rock. Moses was fed up with the people. He, he really was. He'd had it with them. You know, God says, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill him. And Moses, at that point in his life, Kapchinski is him here, okay? Moses saying, don't worry about it, God. I'll kill him for you. Uh, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. Um, again, some more geographic evidence. There's a, a mount in, in the Sinai Peninsula. They call it Mount Sinai, but it is not the correct Mount Sinai. In, in Saudi Arabia, there is a mountain there that fits all the descriptions of the Bible. And this mountain that is there, for some reason, on the top of this mountain, it is charred and it is black. It is not a volcano. There's been no volcanic activity there at all. The, the charred, the, um, the, the, it's just it's on the surface if you look at it at, from a picture, it almost looks like a, like a shadow on the mountain, but it's not, because the Bible says that, that God was, came down like fire on, on the mountain. There was a fire there, and it consumed everything that was on the mountain, and that mountain is there. Now, at the base of this mountain, there, uh, there is a rock that is there, and this is the rock, and this is the rock. I believe that this is the rock that Moses struck the first time and the rocks, the water poured out from the crack. Again, there is geographic, uh, geological evidence that water has flowed from that crack uh, down and, and felt basins down below. Um, and uh, the rock is about, it's about the size of a four-story building. And it's just one of those things that, again, I'm not trying to get you to, to, to lose faith in the Bible. I'm trying to look, look at the evidence, folks. This thing is true. Ungodly people may try and give us lies to say, no, 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 it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen that way. There's not the evidence that is there, but when you, look, when you get right down to it and, and you force the evidence in front of you, you look at it and you say, maybe some of the dates are wrong. Maybe some of the dates don't, don't quite match up to exactly, and maybe Ramses was, you know, wasn't called that, so a different name. But the word of God is alive and active, and you can bet your life on it. And, and, and by the way, what, what was the thing that the children of Israel were so excited about when they, when, they, and when they were at Mount Sinai, and they wanted to worship something? What was it that they were wanting to worship? Say, say cow. Say cow. Everybody say cows. Good, 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 class, good. Uh, this is what is carved into the bottom of the mountain. 
And th- these things, this Bible, is so that we may believe. So when God is saying, oh, I'm just looking for an excuse to bless you. I- I'm, I'm looking for you to give me the opportunity. Will you, will you stand over here in the point of my holiness? And man, are you going to be blessed. Oh, yeah, life's going to be hard, folks. Life is going to be hard. I'm not saying that. You want crops? You got to plow the ground. You want payday to happen? You got to work. But you're giving God that that, that, that place to, to bless. You want financial blessing in your life, folks? Honestly, if you want financial blessing in your life, you got to put a mark of God on your finances the way that the Bible says to do it. If you're not a tither, don't really expect God's blessing in your finances. You may prosper. You may, you may prosper, but it's not from God. Well, then I don't need God. Tell him that when everything falls apart. Now, what, what I'm saying is, is, is this, that Moses had to pay the consequences. But I'm going to tell you something. Moses did not get to go into the promised land with the children of Israel. He didn't get to do it, but he did go in. He did go in. Hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that was the symbol of that rock, Jesus is going to meet with two people on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. He's going to meet with Elijah and Moses. I don't know what the meeting was all about. No one really knows. There's some thoughts and some ideas, but it probably has something to do with the fact that Jesus is going to be facing the cross pretty soon. It's time to, for the rest of the promise to come about. You see, God told Moses to strike the, the rock the first time. He said, strike it the first time, and, that, and that's going to that's gonna be it the second time. What I want you to do is I want you to speak to the rock. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, and this is so, this is so full of stuff, but, I, you know, chapter 10, um, 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing, for I don't want you to be ignorant of the facts, brethren, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. We know the cloud that they were under. And they passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud of the sea. And they ate from the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. They drank from that rock. That rock was was Christ. And God says to Moses, "Don't, don't strike it again. In Hebrews, in chapter, chapter 7, verse 27. Pastor Josh doesn't want the scriptures on the screen so that you'll have to bring your Bibles. And um, so I'm, I'm fumbling through the book here, but... Bring your Bibles, okay? Um, Anyway, uh, 727. um, 
Oh, no, I can't put the wrong scripture down. Can't read my own writing. Oh, what did I do? Anyway, um, uh, see, if I would have had it on the screen, I would have had the right scripture up there. Um, but Hebrews says that, that Christ was crucified once for all. He's not going to be crucified again. Whenever you find that scripture, somebody go ahead and say which one it is. What's, what's the right address for it? Because it's, it's important to have that. But, um, but Christ is crucified once. We don't strike Christ again. He died once for all. And the first time that Moses struck the rock, it was that symbol of, of, of the, the, the water of life that was going to come through Christ. And we are not allowed to strike Christ again. Moses did that thing, and it cost him, and it cost him dearly. No, he didn't go, to, go on the promised land at that time, but yeah, he's going to come back. This is not reincarnation. Get that one out of your mind. This is God to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and, and God sent, sent these two ministering spirits down to, to, to speak to Jesus at this time as he is facing some difficult times. It's kind of fun that that Peter recognized them. He knew who they were. But, you know, we, we are not to strike God. In those times of difficulties, we are not allowed to, to question God. When life is hard and life is painful, we are not allowed to, to get angry at God. How dare you, God, do this to me? You know, there's, every once in a while, I'll hear it come out and some, somebody will kind of go, you know, God is a good God and we need to voice our, ourselves to God and we need to, we need to express our feelings to him. And you know, the, the other, to me, false teaching a while back, you know, going around. We need to forgive God for allowing bad things to happen to us. We, you, know, you know, I was in prayer the other day and in my place of prayer, I forgave God. How dare you? God is a holy God. Oh, but he's a big God and he can handle it. That's not the issue. He's a holy God and he doesn't need to be called to question. It is not God who does the bad things to us. It is the enemy of God. God is very clear. I have but one plan for you and that is to bless you and to prosper you. And this is where I want you to be living. To draw that line between us and God and say, oh, I've forgiven him. I'm angry at God right now. Oh, God is holy. God is holy. And we must come into his presence fearful, knowing that this God that is to be feared is a God of incredible love and just looks for excuses to bless us looks for ways for us to position ourselves to be in that place where he says, oh, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to bless you, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. Yeah, and Moses, well, he didn't get to go into the promised land that day. He got to see it all. And he got to minister to the rock you got to minister to the rock. And folks, God's got plans for your life.
position yourself. The first place you've got to go is Jesus. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I accept Jesus Christ in my life today. And now then, God, I want to be like the children of Israel. I want to be coming, as I'm going through wilderness times, and I see those things in front of me that are hard things to cross, I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to let you guide me. I'm going to ask the worship band to come to the front and the ushers to come to the front. And as they are coming this morning, just, you know, do you get how much God loves you? Do you, do, do, you, do, you, do you grasp the incredible blessings and plans that he has for you? This thing is written, and it's, it's true. And there is evidence that demands a verdict. One of those questions is, is do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God has great plans for your life? Because the Bible demands that verdict from you. Yes, God, I know it. And I'm going to trust you, Lord. Now, Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that you got a good plan for our life. Now, bless each one here. In places where there's some hard things in their life, may they come to the rock and drink from the rock and not strike the rock not call you into question, but say, God, this is hard, this is difficult, and God, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I know that you're good. And God, with you on my side, I'm going to make it through this hard time. I'm going to make it, God. Now bless everyone here. God, as we give back to you this morning, as we turn this tithing off, God, I just pray for blessings on, on, on everyone's finances as they're keeping that mark of you. God, we all have to eat. We all have to pay rent. And God, we need those blessings from you. We give you glory and praise and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen.